on this episode of Resi Week, understanding architects, video calibration, and big box smart home failures. All this and more on this episode of Resi Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is Resi Week, episode 205, Muscle Memory Matters. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Draper, focused on innovative solutions. Welcome to Resi Week. This is your weekly wrap-up of all the latest news and stories for the residential AV industry. I'm your host, Matt T. Scott for avnation.tv. And this week, the first episode of 2020, we are pleased to be joined by three of my favorite people. First of all, it is Henry Clifford. He is the president of Livewire and the co-founder of Paracel. How are you, sir? Fantastic, Matt. Thanks for having me today. Happy New Year. Hey, same to you. Thank you so much for being here. Then we have Jeremy Gowacki. He is the executive editor of Residential Tech Today. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. And last and certainly not least, one of my favorite New Yorkers, Mark Feinberg. He is the president of Home Theater Advisors. How are you, sir? Doing great, Matt. Thanks for having me. Even though it's a little last minute, I appreciate it. Well, you know, when people drop out, I, I think of my favorite friends and none of them were available. So I called you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. It was pretty far down the list, but you know, eventually you got there. You know, after a while, you just keep flipping through the Rolodex and finally your name pops up and <laughs> you know, it is what it is. All right. Let's kick this off with a, a lovely note. We won't dig too much into this. But congratulations to Frank Stearns. He is joining Sound United as the Senior VP of Commercial Operations. Uh, if you've been in this business for more than a minute, you will know of Frank Stearns. He is a fantastic individual and has uh, he's, he's been with quite a few companies. Most recently, he was with Sony as head of their CI uh, division. And congratulations to him on his new endeavor with Sound United. Gentlemen, let's jump into uh, a couple of, we've actually got some really good stories for the first year of, or the first show of the new year, which I got to say is kind of rare. Normally, this is a very silent moment right before CES news drops, which it is starting to do. So stay tuned next week. We'll have a lot of great stuff coming out of CES. But for this week, we're going to kick this off with a story that comes to us from Residential Systems and Randy Stearns. Understanding what architects need from tech integration firms. This is a fantastic primer article uh, on ways in which to essentially develop relationships with architectural firms. Henry, I want to start with you on this one. As I read through this article, uh, a couple of things come to mind. The, the main thing being that kind of the, the <clears throat> overarching principle of this is that there needs to be some common ground. There needs to be some understanding and dare I say less ego in the development of a relationship between uh, a home technology professional and uh, a prospective architect that you'd like to work with. Am I, am I oversimplifying that or is that kind of bang on what, what we're talking about here? No, I, I, I think it is bang on. And I also think it's important to consider the author. Randy, yeah. Randy has has opined on a bunch of topics just like this one, and uh, and and I've gotten a chance to sit with him and just listen to him, just talk about his his philosophy about where he feels like the industry is and is headed, and his ideas 
have generated hundreds of thousands of dollars in revenue for for our, our company. So, uh, like he he's given us ideas like have your guys take the vans home, uh, charge design retainers to get jobs off the street. You know, have, having an article like hey, understand your place in the food chain, understand the architect's pain point, and understand that there's a reason why guys like I don't know Jerry Lynch with System Seven. Is he's a good one, or some of these other folks out there who really get it, who come at it from a design aesthetic perspective, they understand the audience. And um, I think Randy, with the article, is just saying, "Hey, look, instead of just uh, another sort of beat you over the head article about you should do this and you should do that," he's he's really given some pretty pretty achievable kind of objectives there and. Uh, so I, I just say he's, this is just another page out of his playbook. I mean, he's got, he's got a ton of these and I mean, there's a part of me, I just want to just follow him around and uh, kind of just get, get, get all the rest of the good ideas. Cause I'm, I'm not kidding. I mean, every, every one of these ideas, cause he's been in the industry for such a long time. Um, they're money makers. Mm-hmm. And if we just kind of shut up and listen a little bit, uh, especially with him, uh, I, I can just say, you know, the last five years of being in business, you know, his, his ideas are, are profitable ideas. Very good. Jeremy, one of the other things that uh, Randy touches on is uh, essentially that we have to stop the techno speak. And you and I have had this conversation about really multiple aspects of the industry that we get so caught up in proving if you will that we know what we're talking about that we over like we we hype the tech side of things and we throw facts and figures and numbers and specs at everyone we talk to is is the key to connecting with people outside of the industry and finding partners is it is it to dare i say dumb down what we do and and really focus on the experience opposed to the technology well, um, I don't know if it's dumbed down, but it is keeping in mind that the world outside of the custom integration business is, they, they, they want to know ba- the baseline of what they need to know. So if it's a consumer, if it's a client, it's their lifestyle, you know, it, it's maybe solving some challenges in their home. It's not, um, trying to blow people away with the latest gadget necessarily. There are clients like that. We all know them out there and there are people that wanted to spend um, the most money to outdo their neighbor perhaps, but someone like an architect in this case, they, they have a specific need. And I think what he's saying here is that we need to realize what that is and understand the personality of this individual that we're working with, because um, I think we, for years I've been editing articles that talk about the importance of getting in early in a project with an architect, a builder, and you kind of put them in this category. You think of them as a certain gatekeeper and personality type, and you, you kind of elevate them in this, this personality. And he, it's the first time I've ever heard them described the way he describes them here, which is they're basically introvert engineer types with a creative bent, which I thought was beautifully stated and you know it's probably pretty accurate and so 
they don't like to be sold. You know, they don't, they're, they're, they're going to like run and hide if you come at them too hard with some of this stuff. And if you know what they need and what sort of solves problems for them um, later in a project, whether that's, um, you know, power, um, you know, needs for a certain room, uh, spacing for an equipment um, rack, um, the zoning for HVAC, that type of thing, and not throwing a bunch of stuff to them that's going to come well after they're involved and not necessary for their insight. I think that's where he's getting at here. And I think it's not really dumbing down so much as it's just finding what the important elements are for the audience that you're addressing. Focusing. I love it. Mark, I'm going to lodge kind of the, the practical question to you. One of the things that I, I've never, I don't think I've ever seen anyone mention in the conversation about working with an architect, a builder, designer, whatever, is the focus that he gives to drawings. In this article, he, he dedicates, what, three paragraphs to drawings? We don't, that, uh, that drove it home for me. <laughs> yeah, we, don't, we don't see that. So, so the question I have for you is, if, you were a, if you're a firm that does not to date produce true drawings, not, hey, I sketched this out, hey, here's a line source drawing, but true architectural style drawings, how do you, how do you either ramp up to that or how do you how do you solve that that knowledge gap of walking into an into an architect and say, hey, we've got a great design for your project. Here's a napkin. Well, Matt, I'm going to throw that right back at you because I am that guy who doesn't really do drawings. <laughs> so I'm, I read that and I'm like, crap! I've really I've been I, I've known for a long time I need to do drawings, but I you know I'm using DTools Cloud. It doesn't have a, a real drawings feature yet. Mm -hmm. um, I don't have, I'm not a busy, I'm not an expert at Visio. I don't have, and I don't have um, uh, any CAD knowledge. So other than outsourcing it, I don't really have a way to do drawings at this point that I know of well, and I haven't been doing them. You know, I've been marking up floor plans, uh, you know, with, with, with um, on, on, on my computer using either PDF or PowerPoint or something to mark it up of where things are going, but I'm not creating drawings. Well, so, and, and I would argue that that's yeah. the first step is at least right. being able to properly you know, using generally accepted symbols, et cetera, right. mark stuff up. Henry, I, I'm assuming that you guys do drawings. Hopefully you do drawings, <laughs> otherwise we're in trouble. Hey. <laughs> yeah, well, we kind of grade our, okay. our, our projects. So if we're, if we're going into a project where, uh, I mean, we'll say it's like a, a big boy, a big boy project, right? Mm -hmm. and, or big girl project, whatever. A big uh, person. Where we know that we just can't, bring our maybe standard system documentation uh, to bear. It's sort of like, we're not going to use a howitzer to kill a field mouse, right? But at the same time, we're, we just want to match the weapon to the, to the project. And so our builder business, where we're doing maybe a lot of volume, our in-house system designer can take care of all that, do a lot of that in Visio, it's fine. But you get some of these large estates or places where there's an architect, where there's a lighting designer, where there's interior decorators, and, and you gotta it, all of a sudden be now able to work in CAD and Revit and all these things. And I mean, there are companies out there, mm -hmm. like I'll shamelessly plug uh, Blue Dog because they're awesome. And you know, Doug Dodd and Kurt Hayes, you can call up these guys and they'll make <laughs> you look like a million bucks. You and can, that was, outs yeah, I was you gonna can go outsource that whole capability 
and we've been working with them for five or six years. <laughs> and it, for me, who, for the most part, a lot of this, I'm, I know how to sell really well. And, and some of the, the technical stuff, um, I'm good. And some of it I'm not. And, and to have a backstop like that, who, where they can, again, make, make you look like a rock star and, and you can rent that functionality. Um, because if you, the other thing you gotta think that what, what we think about is the muscle memory, uh, meaning it, it's all good and well to go and get one of your employees trained and how to use a particular software package or whatever. But if they're not using homeworks is a good example of that, right? If you're not doing a homework system every single day. You don't have the muscle memory for that. Um, the next big project that comes along is great. You've got somebody trained in house, but you know, again, there's, there's rentable function, rentable people, folks who are amazing in our industry. They don't compete with us who they live to uh, make us look like a million bucks. And so that's what we've done. I'm not saying that's the right thing, but that's how we've solved for that. that yeah, and that's, and that's where I was probably going to be going because just as you know, I have a finance background, but I need to spend time building the business. I need to spend time doing my accounting. So I have a bookkeeper that I outsource my accounting to. I have a web developer that I outsource my web development to. I'm going to be outsourcing drawings when the need comes up. And now the need hasn't arisen where I have, you know, million dollar projects and estates. But when that need comes, it is companies like Blue Dog that we're going to turn to because you need to have the, and you need to have that relationship before you, you should have that relationship before you have that you know, immediate need. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's the way to do it. You, you, you shouldn't, you can't, especially in smaller companies, you can't do everything in house. Well, I, and I would argue and, and kind of to, to wrap that up and surmise that, I, I think that's something that's overlooked in our industry. We, we very often try to do everything in house. Whereas if I put on my, my, my corporate hat for a minute and my, my pro AV hat, we outsource all kinds of stuff. In that, in that world, you can outsource literally everything from, sales to labor to installation to certification you can run a one-man shop that does millions of dollars every year and never hang a tv connect a cable do anything and yet achieve all of that something that residential really needs to catch up on if you will all right gentlemen let's move on to our next story of the day this comes to us from CE Pro 9 Video Calibration Content Suggestions. Jason Dustall, who is uh, the training and education uh, pro over at AV Pro and an ISF certified calibrator, offers his favorite pieces of content to uh, calibrate and uh, ensure that your displays have the best performances. So Jeremy, I, I'm going to start with you on this one as the non-integrator on the, on the episode. This is a hotly debated topic every time I bring it up, the art of calibration and whether calibration is worth it, not worth it, et cetera. In your experience talking with integrators, talking with manufacturers, what's the, what's the temperature of calibration versus like generic calibration, not using as uh, Jason is talking about here, you know, the, the true ISF method but calibrating to eye or calibrating to a disc, where, where does that fit as far as the, the general feeling of the industry? Is it something that's valued or is it something that is a nice sale when you can get it, but I'm never going to see it pushed? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, generally speaking, I, I think calibration in the generic sense, um, if you're not hiring a professional ISF calibrator to come in uh, and, and do a home theater calibration, that that sort of seems to be part of the cost of, you know, the system. I mean, you want it to look the best you can and, uh, you know, various uh, folks are going to have their, their favorite software for, for doing that ca calibration. Um, and ultimately you want it to appeal to that end user. Um, I just had a, I just added a new 65 inch, um, 4k TV to my, my main level. And I have a projector as well in the basement. Um, and it was interesting to start comparing the color of each of those now with the new settings that you have on televisions and uh, you know, my, my integrator you now just basically went with the, here, here's this setting, you know, the pre preordained settings. And we, we prefer this one when we're using this LG te television. I disagreed with them. Um, I, I felt like my eyes were melting a little bit when I was watching it. It was too, too much brightness. Um, you know, I think you're you're maybe going to get a little more educated point of view from me just because I've been around this stuff for so long, but your average consumer is going to have their own uh, feelings for dynamic um, colors and things that maybe, um, you know, the, the integrator doesn't agree with. So you have to be flexible with it, but I do, I do think that education is really helpful for a consumer, you know, an end user, you need to be able to explain to them what they're going to get from different settings and, um, and provide them with quick ways of changing those settings. Like when I'm watching sports, I do want it to be a little more dynamic, but if I'm watching a movie, I do not want it to look like sports. I don't want it to look like a soap opera. And, you know, those things that your average consumers are struggling with, understanding new TV settings, um, I think an integrator can play a pivotal role in explaining how those can be adjusted on the fly if you need, need to. Very good. Mark, you're... I like to come to you with this type of question because I, I know your market. I know where you're playing. I know where you're living. Is calibration something that A, gets asked for in your kind of, your, your kind of mid-level market right. clientele? Are they asking for it? And if they are and you do it, how long is it before they change it, as Jeremy said, back to Vivid? <laughs> um, occasionally someone asks for it because you find that people like, you know, went online and did a lot of research before mm -hmm. they called you. They will ask for it because when you read articles, they say, Oh, you have to get your TV professionally calibrated. And we do calibration light kind of to what you were saying, you know, either using a disc, using our eyes. I'll be very honest. If it's a, if it's, you know, a, a quick hang and bang job, it's going to be using one of the built in, uh, to, to, to Jeremy's point, preordained, if I can't think, you know, the, the cinema or the home or the whatever mm -hmm. settings. Um, but clients ask for it. Even the, even those quickies where we just put it on the, the, the cinema settings, that's the right setting for that home and for the content that they watch. 80% of the time it's, wow, that looks really dim. I like that setting. It came out of the box on better and it's back on vivid. I mean, fries and melts my eyes, but that's what they think a TV should look like. And as much as you tell them, this is not a right, this is, you show them the skin tones, you talk about how this isn't the right color, like look at how orange or blue that person looks. They don't care in the end. Now, if you're doing, to Jeremy's point, a home theater, 
which we don't really do because we're in, a, in apartments in New York, um, I would assume then people would be more reliant on the calibration and more trustful that that's the right color. <clears throat> but I've, even when we do projectors, people feel the projector is too dim compared to what they expect the TV screen to look like. Um, so yeah, how long does it take them? Sometimes 30 seconds takes them to change the, the setting. Sometimes you come back a month later and you see the settings been changed. Very good. Henry, uh, let, let's kind of wrap this up quickly and, and, and just bang through the next story real quick. But is calibration, is it something that most applications require anymore? Or is it something where in certain rooms, certain, you know, again, theater applications, you need to do this to get the most out of your picture, to, to, to get the highest contrast. But if somebody's going to go buy a top shelf LG or a top shelf, uh, you know, Sony master series, they're pretty good out of the box. Yeah. I, I didn't believe in any of this stuff until I, I met a guy named Adam Pels and Adam's a professional calibrator. He flies around the country. I think he flies around the world calibrating expensive projectors and displays. And I sat there with this guy and because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I wasn't going to sell my own service or, or subject, you know, ask our guys to do it again, no muscle memory. I could send them to ISF class and then come back and a year later, we get our first job, you know, no muscle memory. Mm -hmm. So that, that was pointless. So we rented Adam who uh, is, is available. He's, he's amazing. But I had him calibrating a $40,000 projector. I wouldn't have had him, calibrating a thousand dollar tv or two thousand dollar tv i mean and, and he's recommending a video scaler that costs four to eight thousand dollars to pair with the the projector so i'd say that uh everything everything uh it deserves its own match as far as you know if, if we're putting in a, a little hang and bang tv no there's some wizard or some optimum settings and things like that i mean and then there's there's wizard driven calibrators. That's not real calibration. And and we get good enough there. And that's really what it is. It's a good enough scenario. But the real expensive home theater stuff, uh, we I have seen the difference in yeah. in and it's not just uh, smoke and mirrors. So I, I will I will absolutely spec it uh, on on those jobs, uh, but only because I um, was a skeptic turned believer. Again, use the right tool for the right application. I love it. All right, gentlemen, let's wrap this up with one uh, quick story that comes to us from Residential Tech Today, the failure of big box stores to sell the smart home. Mark, I'm going to start with you on this one. This is a fantastic article uh, by Jay Basin. Uh, hopefully I pronounced your name properly. Uh, Jeremy will tell me if I didn't. But Mark, let me start with you on this. Kind of the, <laughs> the driving factor uh, of this story, my, my big takeaway from this story is that when when consumers go into a big box, they see an end cap or, or, or maybe a full aisle of just this mishmash of smart home, quote unquote, devices. Maybe it's a ring doorbell. Maybe it's a, a Nest thermostat, Arlo cameras, who knows? It, but it's a mishmash of stuff just kind of put up with maybe a picture in a background and, and if they're really lucky, a seven inch display showing a video of how easy it is to put this device in. Is it true that smart home can't be embraced on whatever level you wanna talk about without being able to walk into a quote unquote showroom 
and actually experience it. Yeah, I mean, I have clients all the time who want to see it in action. You can you can sit there and try and explain to them what smart lighting is and how it functions and how you have the divide button that turns everything off and you know and everything's all in one app and 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 what a great experience it is. But until you, you the picture there's a thousand words and coming to visit it and see it and live it is a million words. I mean, there's no way to to, to replicate that on a little end cap in a store. And then the problem you have is that it's all these disparate products, even if they're all from the same company, if they're all ring, they don't, it, it's individual. It's like, it's still like having six remotes on your coffee table. You have a different app for everything. Everything's not integrated because it's sensed motion. It's not do, turning on the lights or locking the door or doing whatever. Um, it becomes very, it's, it's a disparate mishmash of apps in, in a folder on your phone. Um, so I don't, I don't think consumers, grasp it by just seeing it at an end cap like that and unless they're really techie and the people who are going out and we're doing you know smart things or one of those consumer s cubs or vera or something like that they're not they're not getting the benefit of it other than having it having another app on their phone henry it, it kind of cracks me up that this conversation has come full circle if you will when i first started in residential if you didn't have a showroom to show off you know, your, your multi-room audio, your theater, your whatever, you were, you were a, a trunk slammer. You, you got no respect in this business at all. The last couple of years, almost everyone has moved away from definitely retail, uh, but even, even an experience center, a, a walk-in environment. People are using their own homes. They're using customers' homes. They weren't finding the value and, and all the pundits were telling us, don't rent space and get a, a experience center so someone can walk in once a, a week, maybe if you're lucky to kick the tires and go buy the TV at Best Buy. Now I'm reading this article and it's saying the only way to sell smart home devices, again, those usually sub hundred dollar devices is to have a showroom where people can walk through and experience it. Are we back to everyone should have a showroom, a place to experience these things if they want to sell them? I, I, I walked into a theater extreme. They opened one here in 2007 and I, I call it the never ending trade show because it was just retail, just walk in, walk in, walk in, tire. I was driving me insane. Um, we have a hybrid design center. It's, it's appointment only. It's small. It's, it's appointment only. We can show the, the experiences, but if we didn't have the, our design center for a lot of the, the selections that we have to make, et cetera. Um, I don't know where we, we wouldn't, we would be in a very different place. I'm not saying we, you know, it would just be a different outfit. And so, but I've never, I've never been a fan of retail walk-in and I've, and I've had buddies who've tried kind of a retail walk-in, try to pull some of that retail walk-in into their custom business. And yeah, what we do is just what we do. I don't get sort of evangelical about, about uh, prescribing how it should go, but I, I definitely worry whenever I hear somebody doing, doing some kind of retail take all comers sort of deal without qualifying the, the prospects. But I, I, I will agree, like you get somebody into your own environment and you can curate their, their experiences they're going through. And uh, I think technology's best experience when it gets out of the way. And so as you're moving through, 
or even as we're showcasing proposals for somebody, we're doing it on our own systems. We're showing a boardroom, conference room solution using the technology that we're actually proposing that they that they that they invested. So, um, but you know, one thing I wrote down from the article was $113.16 average revenue per transaction. I thought that was interesting. So, um, you know, I hope our sales guys never see this as a, as a way of saying like that our, our average ticket is uh, like much higher than yeah. this. But don't but, don't but, forward but this point, internally. Yeah. How, how, can you, how can you justify a showroom or retail space on an average $100 ticket? You know, no, way. I, no way. Yeah. And, and to, to Matt's point about uh, the, the confusion of it and, and Mark, your point too, I mean, Guy Kawasaki's sort of famous quote about going down to Fry's and they and showing them aisles and aisles and aisles of crap. He was talking about the MP3 player mm -hmm. before the iPod. And it's the right. same now. It's a nightmare. I mean, I've gone in. I wrote a, I wrote a little blog about it. About I, I think it creates more opportunity for us, not less. It's just confusing the hell out of people. And mm -hmm. so those who value time and want to invest in, and have a concierge you know, kind of experience, they'll come see us. And, and, right. and, and that customer will be there next year, just like they were you know, before. Right. I mean, I, I, I see what you're saying. I, I do the same thing. I have a brochure I use with a client to try and walk them through it and explain it. If they need more, Matt, I was that guy. I, right now, I bring them to my apartment to show it to them. Starting in two weeks, we just rented another apartment in our building to be my office and my showroom. Congratulations. So That's awesome. We'll have a dedicated space to bring them and not have to kick my kids out of the apartment to have a client. You should leave your kids <laughs> in. Mine sell stuff all the time. It's fantastic. That's true too. Yeah. The fact that they can use it all is a huge selling point. Exactly. Clients love that. Jeremy, let, let me give you the last word on this and then we'll wrap up. Looking through this, to, to, to Henry's point, this just screams opportunity to me. The question I have is how do you convert that potential client who might somehow stumble upon your company, but they're planning on that average spend of $116. How do you convert them from that spend, whether you're using a showroom to help or, or, or not, how do you convert them from that spend into what we within the industry would consider our standard entry-level client? Because it's a whole lot more than $116 normally. How do you, how do you bridge that gap? Or is that a non-bridgeable gap? I, I always think it's a non-bridgeable gap. I think they're just such different types of clients and customers that uh, the guy that's going into Best Buy is not the guy that's looking for you know a professional integrated system necessarily. Um, they're they're going in for a, a gadget or um, you know a TV or something like that, and they may they may attach something to that ring doorbell. That's uh, um, you know. There are various, various qualities. We've talked about just a little exchange that they have a pro line now, but uh, their, um, you know, Alexa driven home is not going to have um, the same ca uh, capabilities that we, we see from the custom integration channel. And I don't think they know that exists and I don't think they're willing to pay for it. Um, I, I don't know. Unfortunately, they're going to miss out on opportunities for this, you know, such things as, you know, really integrated lighting control. These are really make life better in a home. Um, you know, some, some better audio experiences that uh, keep it from just being an individual 
kind of Bluetooth type speaker. Um, th those, those kind of opportunities happen when you talk to a custom integrator and they can explain and demonstrate for you the difference. But, uh, if you're going into Best Buy, I don't know you could, you're you're going to be in the market for the the big time stuff. It just seems like those are different customers. It's kind of not that different from the person who's on Craigslist trying to find somebody to hang their TV versus the client who calls us. Yeah. Um, and the challenge is a lot of those people going into Best Buy may just not know how to find someone. To be honest, I mean, my, you know, I talk my wife and I talk about this all the time. You ask any one of our friends, you got a contractor. You get an electrician, they all do. Everybody's had a contractor into their home or an electrician into their home or a painter into their home. Ask people who you, know, who you don't know or who say, who do you know? If somebody said, do you know an AV guy and you couldn't give him my name, how would, who would you give him? And they're like, oh, no. Nope. Nobody knows an AV or a home tech pro or whatever you want to call us. Nobody, very, the, the percentage of homeowners who have that in their Rolodex is so limited compared to the percentage who have a contractor in their Rolodex. It's, it's how do we educate that person who's a Best Buy? Because a percentage of them would do a better system. I don't know what percent. It could be 5%. It could be 50%. I don't know. But some of them, I think, will do a better system if shown something better, if they know it exists. Yeah, that's true. All right, gentlemen, let's leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us. Henry, if people want to connect with you, learn more about Livewire or uh, get information about Paracel, where can they do that? So we've got a website at getlivewire.com. We've got a blog there. We've got social media at getlivewire. Um, that's the same tag for everything. And then for Parasol, same thing, getparasol.com. Or uh, our social media is getparasol. Thanks again, Matt, for, for having me. I really had a good time today. Always. Thank you so much for joining us. Jeremy, my good friend, if uh, people want to connect with you, learn more about residential tech today, where can they do that? Uh, please come to our website, restechtoday.com, and subscribe to the magazine, the newsletter. And uh, if you want to find me on Twitter, um, it's Glowaki underscore Jeremy. So Excellent. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Last but not least, Mark Feinberg. Thank you, sir. If people want to connect with you, learn more about Home Theater Advisors, where can they do that? Uh, easiest is hometheateradvisors.com and social media, Facebook slash Home Theater Advisors and Home Theater Advisors on Twitter as well. Excellent. Thank you again for joining us. If you'd like to connect with me, you can find me at Matt D. Scott on Twitter and pretty much every other social channel. But more importantly, please visit avnation.tv where you'll find this show as well as a wide variety of our other shows with all the verticals that we cover. When you visit the website, please take a moment to check out our supporters. We are extremely thankful for their support and ask that you check them out as well. Thanks again for watching. That's all the time we have for this episode of Resi Week.